If you'd like to spend some time with real people with a real heart for God, we welcome you to visit us at Harvest Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Our Sunday morning services are held at 1030, and our Family Night Fellowship takes place on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Come experience God's awesome, life-changing power as we worship in His presence, fellowship with one another, commit to discipleship, and share God's love through evangelism. For more information or directions, visit HarvestNova.com. That's HarvestNova.com. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings, the fifth chapter. I have a message from the Lord today that I want to share with you. We're going to read the first three verses and then verses 9 through 14. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Moving to verse 9. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and, uh, and... Call on the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean, like that of a young boy. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. The title of my message today is The Need to Let Go. The Need to Let Go. Uh, This story of Naaman is a great example of the need to let go. Now, I love this story. I've preached on it. Matter of fact, I preached a sermon on it last year, but this is a different sermon for those of you who are keeping track. Uh, One of the most elusive things in life can be real, meaningful, positive change. Would you agree with that? How many times do we uh, determine that things are going to change in my life? Things are going to be different. And how many times do they end up same old, same old, right? Change is tough. It's hard. We often do everything we can to bring about change and end up falling short. But however counterintuitive it may sound, sometimes the secret to experiencing real change is the opposite of doing everything we can. It's letting go. Counterintuitive, isn't it? And, and yes, there are times we need to do things, we need to change things, we need to move in a certain direction to bring about change. But often, a real catalyst for change can be letting go. There are many Bible stories about how hard it is to let go, but few illustrate this phenomenon 
better than this one here in King, 2 Kings 5. The story of Naaman tells about a commander in the Syrian army 2,800 years ago. Syria ruled the Middle East. Naaman was the commander of the king's army. Though he was powerful physically, intellectually, politically, he suffered from this terrible disease. He had leprosy and there was no known cure for this disease. The story of his healing has a lot to teach us about the need to let go in order to move on. And letting go, I want to say, is hard for all of us. But if you're a type A personality, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. You know who you are. It's especially hard to let go, isn't it? But let the Lord speak to you through this message today. Will you do that? Will you keep an open mind? Say, Lord, what would you say to me today about letting go? So the question I want to answer is, what do we need to let go of to see real change in our lives? The first thing here we see is we need to let go of our preconceived notions. We need to let go of our preconceived notions. In this story, Naaman worked hard. He was at the top of his class at the military academy, I suppose. <laughs> he trained to be an officer. We can assume he was courageous and disciplined, strong and loyal, responsible and smart. He had earned the respect of his troops, the other officers. He was one of the most powerful military men in the entire world. He was used to commanding a certain respect. Uh, so when he went to Israel to ask the prophet Elisha for help with his leprosy, he had certain expectations, certain preconceived notions uh, that Elisha, at the very least, would come out of the house. Uh, and so he was directed to Elisha's house. Elisha didn't come out of the house, didn't even do him the courtesy of meeting with him. He sent a servant out, and the servant... Uh, sent a, brought a message from Elisha, said, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored. And uh, he even, Naaman even brought money to pay for his cure because that was his understanding of the way things were done. And then the servant comes out and says, go wash seven times in the Jordan. And uh, Naaman says in verse 11, it says he was angry. He said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot on me and cure me of my leprosy. Naaman had this whole scenario built up in his mind, how it was going to be. Elisha, would, the prophet would come out and show him respect and he would pray a brief prayer and wave his hand and the leprosy would be gone. Instead, a servant comes out and says, go dip yourself seven times in the Jordan. Talk about unfulfilled expectations. <laughs> he had this expectation, he had this preconceived notion that, uh, of how it was going to work. And we do that, don't we? We have preconceived notions. We pray to God and we have it all uh, delineated in our minds how God's going to work, what God's going to do. We have a financial need and we can just picture him dropping a boatload of money in our laps because that's the way we'd like it to be. Have you ever noticed the, how our preconceived notions 
of how things will be perfectly coincide with how we want them to be? You know what I'm talking about? I think I'd like it to be this way. Yeah, 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 it's, it's going to be this way. We have an uncanny knack for talking ourselves into things, for convincing ourselves of things with no factual basis, don't we? Simply because this is how I want it to be. And sometimes that can be a blockage because when God doesn't fulfill our uh, expectations, our preconceived notions, and he doesn't do things just the way we expect, we become discouraged and we become frustrated. God didn't hear my prayer. Oh, he heard your prayer. He's just not obligated to, to fulfill things the way you think he should. Because last time I checked, he's still God and we're not. The uh, astrophysicist Stephen Hawking, who passed away a few years ago, was perhaps, was considered by many to be the most intelligent man of his generation. He advanced the general theory of relativity, relativity farther than any person since Albert Einstein. Unfortunately, he was afflicted with ALS syndrome, popularly known as Lou Gehrig's disease which eventually took his life. He had been confined to a wheelchair for years where he could do little more than sit and think. Having even lost the ability to speak and only being able to communicate by means of a computer that was operated from the tiniest movement of his fingertips, he uh, communicated that way. An Omni Magazine article said of him, he is too weak to write feed himself, comb his hair, fix his glasses, all this must be done for him. Yet this most dependent of all men has escaped invalid status. He said that before he became ill, he had very little interest in life. Listen to this. He called life a pointless existence resulting from sheer boredom. He drank too much and did very little work. Then he learned that he had ALS and was not expected to live more than two years. The ultimate effect of that diagnosis beyond its initial shock was extremely positive. He claimed to have been happier after he was afflicted than before. How can that be? Well, he said, when one's expectations are reduced to zero, one really appreciates everything that one does have. Stated another way, contentment in life is determined in part by what a person anticipates from it. To a man like Hawking, who thought he would soon die quickly, everything takes on meaning. A sunrise or a walk in the park or the laughter of children. Suddenly, each small pleasure becomes precious. By contrast, those who believe life offers them a free ride are often discontent with its finest gifts. I think we could learn a lesson from that man confined to that wheelchair. We have preconceived notions of how life should be, of how things should work out. Often when we come to God for a need, as I said, we have an idea of how he should supply it. Remember that pile of money I referred to a moment ago? We just think he's going to provide us a pile of money to pay, take care of our financial needs. Well, what he may do is provide a way for us to work to earn the money to take care of that need. You see, God always has the big picture in mind. God is our heavenly Father who wants what is best for us.
And he loves us too much to give us everything we want just the way we want it. I'm going to say that again. He loves us too much to give us everything we want just the way we want it. Remember that old TV show? Or some of you don't, but from the 50s, Father Knows Best. Our Father knows best. He's faithful. We, say, we just sang it. Through all generations, he's faithful. We can trust him. But trusting him means letting go of our preconceived notions. Bringing our needs to him, yes, the Bible tells us to do that. Lord, here's what I need. Here's what I, I, I'm looking to you for. But Lord, I leave it to you to work out the details. I can't give you the answer why God doesn't work out the details the way you and I want him to. But I know this, he's faithful. We can trust him. And often the key to bringing about change in your life, positive change, real change, is letting go of your preconceived notions. Praying, God, I'm not going to put you in a box. I'm not going to tell you how to, to work on my behalf. I'm just going to tell you that I need you, like we also sang this morning, and I'm going to let you work out the details. We need to let go of our preconceived notions. What's the second thing we need to let go of? Uh, number two, we need to let go of our foolish pride. Of our foolish pride. In verse 12, he says, Are not the uh, Abana and Parfar, uh, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And it says he turned and went off in a rage. The Jordan was not a clean river. It was muddy. And everybody knew that. It had a reputation as a muddy river. And he says, The waters back home are much cleaner. Couldn't I, if, if I, okay, I didn't get my, 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 you know, top wish that he'd offer a prayer and wave his hand, but if I have to soak in a, in a body of water, couldn't it be the clean rivers at home? And it says he went off in a rage. Now, we need to get this. This is how powerful pride is. He came to the man of God for a cure. The man of God told him what to do to have his skin, to have this debilitating uh, death sentence of a disease cleansed from his body. And he went away in a rage, said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to dip in that muddy water. He was willing to pass up a life-changing experience, the healing of his body, because of his pride. Wow. That is how powerful, in a, in a negative sense, that is how powerful our pride can be. His pride was hurt. He said, I'm not going to do it. And I wonder how many times our foolish pride keeps us from a blessing, keeps us from a cure, keeps us from a healing, keeps us from blessing, keeps us from uh, a breakthrough in our lives. Pride is a terrible thing. Heard a story about a Chinese gentleman named Zhao Chen who was swimming alone, and he became stuck in mud. 
The rescuers who found him after four hours were shocked to see that he had a cell phone wrapped in a waterproof bag with him. He had cell signal. He had a dry cell phone. He could have called for help, but he didn't do it. You know why? He had fear of, quote, losing face. And then when the rescuers got there, he refused to allow them to remove his pants to set him free, keeping his legs trapped in the mud for another seven hours. He was literally stuck in the mud because of his pride. And sometimes we can stay stuck in the mud because of our pride. Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. Uh, pride can hold us back. Pride can be a barrier to what God wants to do in our lives. God may deliver a message to you from someone you don't uh, think highly of. After all, God used a donkey to speak to prophet Balaam. Remember that? Balaam didn't think much of that donkey, even though it turned out God enabled him to talk. <laughs> and similarly, our pride can keep us from receiving a message that God wants to deliver to us. Is pride standing in your way of a miracle? Is pride standing in the way of your deliverance? We need to humble ourselves before God. God loves us so much. He loves the humble. He blesses the humble. But the, 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 but the proud put up a barrier. We all have a certain amount of pride. I have it. Full disclosure, I admit it. And you have it too. And we need to ask ourselves, if, if you're dealing with something and... and uh, and it just doesn't seem to be a breakthrough, and you seem like you're, you're butting your head against a wall and, and nothing is happening, I believe we need to ask ourselves, is there something prideful in my life? Is there something holding me back? Is there something that is preventing me from receiving a breakthrough from Almighty God? Might be a prideful spirit. Might be a, a self-sufficiency. Some of us are just so, I can handle it. And we pride our, whatever comes our, my way, I can handle, I can, I can deal with it. Yeah, but you're under a heavy load. I can handle it. Well, the truth of the matter is, a lot of times you can't handle it. And you're not handling it as well as you think you are. We just need to let that pride melt away. We need to get, we need to get real before God. Can, 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 can we acknowledge what the Bible says, that God knows the thoughts and intents of the heart? Can we just, you know, you, you know in, in, uh, in, in court when there's a set of facts that uh, say the prosecuting attorney will begin to uh, delineate, sometimes the defense will say, we, we stipulate to that, which means we don't need to debate that. We stipulate to that certain set of facts. We, 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 those are the facts. Can we just stipulate to the fact that God knows our every thought? He knows our pride. What area is there in your life where pride is holding you back? 
We need to humble ourselves before Almighty God. Sometimes the only thing holding us back is our pride. We need to let go of our foolish pride. So we've seen we need to let go of our preconceived notions. We need to let go of our foolish pride. What's the third thing we need to let go of to see a real change in our lives? We need to let go of our obsessive control. I see some heads nodding today and some smiles. I, I, I knew if I kept going, I would get you where it, where it uh, hurts a little bit. In love. I'm not trying to hurt you. Verse 14 says, So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. This was after his servants convinced him to have a change of heart. As the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Naaman was successful because he was a man in control. He knew how to control his troops. Uh, it was self-control that propelled him to great success. Sometimes we need to control a situation. If you're in a place of leadership, you need to exercise a certain amount of control. But Naaman had no control over his health. He realized in this story that for all the things in his life over which he had control, his health wasn't one of them. And that's true for you and me as well, among other things. It was only when he yielded control and did, as verse 14 says, quote, as the man of God had told him, that change took place. Boy, this can be a huge barrier to having a breakthrough, to having a, a positive change in our lives, is that need to control. And we all like to have a certain amount of control, and, and, and there are, it's frustrating when we don't have control. We, uh, we, I, I, we, we ordered new, new mobile phones recently, and um, mine, mine came as promised. Mine was ordered on launch day. It came on the day it was supposed to, and my wife's didn't come. It didn't come for over a month. I called uh, my provider. I won't say who they are in case you have that provider, but I called them and got nowhere, and uh, finally, uh, it was an online order. Finally, I went to a store over a month after the phone was supposed to have arrived. Or, excuse me, I, I, I placed a phone call, and the representative on the phone, they canceled the original order, finally put in another order. I'm going to have it in two days. And then two days later, I got a notice from UPS that the provider had requested that they, UPS send the phone back to them. I wasn't getting it. I had to go into a store and make a third order and get that, and we finally got the order. And there are still some things. We, we have the phone, but there are still some things wrong that we didn't get that were promised. I'm going to have to be on the phone again uh, this week. I have been several times this week after we received the phone, and I can tell you it's very frustrating, and I can tell you why. It's because I don't have control. You ever, deal, you ever have business dealings like that? And it just seems so simple, and yet they, they, they don't get it, you know? And uh, it's frustrating when you don't have control. But you know what? There will always be things in our lives over which we have no control. For Naaman, it was his health. That's true for you and me. Sure, we, 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 we thank God for doctors. Doctors, medical personnel have been wonderful 
in this crisis my wife has been in, and, and we thank God for them. And, uh, you, you know, there are things you can do to improve your health, of, of course. But sometimes things crop up and you have no control over them. And it's not just an area of health, it's in, it's in a lot of things. People over in Israel dealing with situation over which they have no control. And, and we're like fish out of water when we don't have control over situations. So what do we do? We have a situation, that problem at work, that problem with somebody, and we try and fix it. We try and manipulate. We do all that we know to do, don't we? Like me making phone calls to the provider who won't be mentioned, AT&T. And... Um, did I say that out loud? And, 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 and we do all we know to do, and it doesn't get better. As a matter of fact, sometimes it gets worse. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. And there comes a time in life when we just need to let go. Like that song we sang, when I cannot stand, Lord, I fall on you. Lord, I give up control. Lord, it's out of my hands. Lord, it's in your hands. Lord, I'm going to trust you. Lord, I'm going to turn it over to you. Lord, I, I've done all the manipulating I can. I've done all the arranging I can. I've done all the fixing I can. It hasn't worked. Lord, I should have turned to you in the first place. Lord, I give up control. In one of his books, Henry Nguyen, a Jesuit scholar and spiritual writer, tells the story about some friends who were trapeze artists. They were called the Flying Rodellas. One thing they told him was that there's a very special relationship between the flyer and the catcher on the trapeze. The flyer, you've seen them, the flyer is the one who lets go and the catcher is the one who catches. That makes sense, doesn't it? As you might imagine, this relationship is very, very important. When the flyer is swinging high above the crowd on the trapeze, the moment comes when he has to let go. He arcs out into the air, and his job is to remain still, uh, as still as possible, wait for the hands of the catcher to pluck him from the air. And one of the, the, the members of this troop a, a, a flyer said the secret is that the flyer must never try to catch the catcher. The flyer does nothing and the catcher does everything. The flyer must never try to catch the catcher. Uh, the flyer is suspended in midair, completely vulnerable, and he has to wait in absolute trust. How many want to sign up to be a trapeze flyer? Any artist? One, okay. And Henry Newman uses that to illustrate the fact that we're like that flyer. We're up in the air. We have nothing to grab onto, nothing to hold on to, nothing that we can do but trust. But trust that our Heavenly Father is there to catch us, He's there to grab onto us. He's there to latch on to us. He's there to take control of the situation in our lives over which we have no control. What situation is there in your life that you're grasping for control of and that you really have no control of at all? Or maybe you do have control, but it's not working out. The key to bringing about real change in your life may be doing the opposite of what you think. It may be instead of trying to control and manipulate and arrange and fix, it may just simply be to let go. 
go. Lord, I fall on you. Lord, I leave it all to you. Lord, I trust in you. Lord, I surrender it all to you. Lord, I'm going to trust in you. I've had situations in life, I've had situations as pastor of this church, and I've tried to fix things and arrange things, and and hasn't worked. Now, God often will tell you things you should do, and then you should do them, but sometimes there's just nothing you can do, and I just say, Lord, I turn it over to you. I let go of control. I trust in you. And God is faithful. Come on, church. How many have found God is faithful? In conclusion this morning, what do you need to let go of to experience real change in your life? Your preconceived notions? This is how it should be. This is how it should work out. God, this is what you should do. This is what needs to happen. Are you willing to let go of those? Maybe your foolish pride. I'm not going to submit to that. I'm not... I'm I'm not going to subject myself to that. I'm better than that. Like Naaman refusing to dip in the Jordan. Don't let pride stand in the way of a miracle, of a blessing, of a breakthrough in your life. Or maybe your need to obsessively control things doesn't work. There will always be situations over which you have no control. Will you trust God today? Will you let go? Will you say, Lord, I'm going to fall on you? Lord, I can't stand, but I'm going to fall on you. I'm going to trust you. We need to recognize the need to let go.